Hello and welcome to this special IC podcast. In this episode, ShoeZone, a beloved income stock which has recently taken its first foray into big box retail. To talk us through the strategy, the IC's retail guru, Harriet Russell, took a trip out to one of these new sites in East London to take in the new surroundings and catch up with Chief Executive Nick Davis and Chief Financial Officer Jonathan Fern. Nick, perhaps you'd like to start us off with describing the scene that we're looking at so the listeners can get a better idea of what big box means for ShoeZone. Sure, yeah. So Galleons Reach is a retail park, so we're in and out of town, what we call big box format, and it's really a new concept that introduces branded lines to our traditional shoe zone offering. So in terms of how that differs to stores that most of your sort of shareholders or certainly customers would be familiar with, what are the sort of main points of difference? Yeah, so we're trying to offer really a new contemporary environment, so you know, better lighting, a much nicer shopping environment, really to attract new customers. So you'll see a much better offering, so bigger choice, a bigger, wider range of shoes, more price points, um, yeah, and just a, just that better selection. And the stores, as we've sort of chatted about before, the store here is only 18 months old. And how many of these sort of new formats have you got so far and how many are left to come? That's a very good question. So we've got 12 currently, um, and we're hoping to open about 10 a year. Um, it's challenging at the moment to match up the sort of stock flow with the property opportunities. Things sometimes open quicker and sometimes open slower. Um, but the circa 10 stores a year is the target. I think where it will end, we don't know yet. You know, it's an early part of the journey. Um, we're, we're sort of targeting 50 stores initially, and we'll, we'll sort of evaluate it from there and see how it goes. Um, I mean, another publication which interviewed you sort of closer to the time that you announced this strategy um, called it a brave change of direction that aims to attract an entirely new demographic without alienating the existing customer base. Is that something that you'd still agree with or sort of feel was an apt description of the new strategy? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I'd describe it as brave. I think we're going slowly and learning as we go. So I think we're fairly confident in what we're delivering um, We've always been very keen to achieve profit and earnings you know, straight away, so it's not a, a long-term loss-making avenue where we're taking a lot of, of risk. I don't think it's overly ambitious, but certainly exactly right around the demographic proposition. So traditionally, shoe zones aimed, if you, if you want to talk about you know, traditional social groups, uh, sort of C2 and D, um, I think this concept is really trying to stretch things into C1 and B without alienating our, our existing customer base. So I think the thread of value goes throughout and we are offering shoes that we think are good value, affordable, um, but just trying to broaden that experience. And you know, typically a lot of value retailers, certainly if you look at some of the value supermarkets, have had some great success in attracting broader demographic and they're generally as sticky, they tend to stay around. In terms of the brands that you're sort of profiling in these stores as opposed to traditional stores, what's, what are the sort of main differences? I mean, to sort of tell the listeners, we're stood right on the edge of the store and, you know, Skechers is, is the most prominent brand that you can see sort of in your direct eye line, but there are a number of others. So how do you go about selecting what brands to sort of promote in this store? Yes, I think still trying to, to come up with some good partnerships where you know the, the prices are sensible and the, the, there's still this strong theme of value, but at a higher price so yeah we've got sketches that have worked very well for us i think at the moment there's a strong trend towards casual um, and we're, we're experiencing that as an even bigger trend in our big box format so you'll see more color in this store 
more casual range, larger selection. But yeah, certainly Sketches and Clarks are two of the bigger brands um, that we're really trying to back. And we've had some great success with Lotus, Wrangler, um, some newer brands such as Heavenly Feet and Luna have really started to prop things up as well. So there's quite a nice brand mix across all genders and we, we remain really a family retailer so we're not really trying to appeal to anyone, sex or gender. It's really trying to offer that broad family offering similar to what our core values are really. And Jonathan, this might be more of a question for you but in terms of how quickly these stores sort of start to return on the investment that you've made, have you got sort of an average kind of return on the equity that you've invested or anything like that return on the capital invested yeah i think overall our target would be that it returns overall probably 18 months to two years we aim to be profitable within year one but with the stock investment and the capital investment certainly our target is quicker than two years to pay back refit and stock cost and on that note about stock, obviously there is quite a lot of stock that you can sort of see to the eye, and I know that we've chatted about this, but in terms of how you go about managing inventory in a store like this versus a traditional one, is, are there any sort of main differences? In our typical store, because we have 500 stores actually, to open or close, one store doesn't really have an impact on those. As Nick said earlier, with the big box concept, we're really trying to match closely when we open a store and when we need to buy that stock. So opening them at the start of the seasons, making sure that we've got enough for that season, but not too much. But also we are looking at, for certain stores, you know, if we have a little bit of excess, how do we get rid of that? But primarily, we're just trying to match it really carefully and learn very quickly. And in terms of what you do with the excess inventory, I know we were just talking about this off-air, but um, you were saying that obviously owning your own distribution and logistics sort of operations helps you enormously in that respect, doesn't it? Yes, it does, yeah. We're able to uh, recall stock back to the central distribution centre and then recycle it into stores um, within seven days. So if we know that a a style is selling in one geographical area or or not another, we can move that quickly. And also, towards the end of the season, as we end up with kind of fragmented stock in terms of sizes, we're able to bring that and consolidate it into stores so that we still maximise the customer offer in terms of having all the sizes there. Ultimately, we can then pull it back and then uh, use online to clear kind of fragments of stock that we're left with at the end of the season. Let's talk about online. We didn't talk about this much off air, but we've talked about it in the past quite a lot over results and things like that. Online is obviously a massive opportunity for all retailers of shapes and sizes. But you've had quite a sort of, I would say, noble approach to online, which is that you've sort of tried to harness the big platforms like Amazon to your advantage, haven't you? Yeah, so we've done very well on Amazon. Um, and I think for us, we've just accepted that it's a different marketplace. And therefore, you know, we're very keen to promote our shoezone.com offering. It continues to grow very well so it's been growing at you know 20 to 30 percent over the last few seasons um but yeah i think amazon and ebay are two unique platforms um that you know we know our customer type of demographic is shopping on them so we've embraced them we've had some great growth on them and actually they've really helped us launch into international so we're trading in italy spain france and germany and the usa now um and i think it helps you learn very quickly how how those sort of retail environments and geographies shop. So, yeah, we're, we're really enjoying the, the online growth. Um, it's a very profitable area of our business, so we're typically making a, a 20% contribution on online sales. Um, so it definitely forms you know, part of our key strategic plan. So. 
So, and in terms of sort of footfall numbers, when you come to a retail park like this, it's arguably a bit more of a static location. Is there sort of a visibility from your perspective over numbers of customers, numbers of visits per customer, etc., that perhaps would be a bit more fickle on the high street? Yeah, so I think for us, the having a new opportunity is really important. And I think lots of these places we're going into are more destination shopping places. Um, I guess we are veterans on the high street and we understand the footfall there we understand property and how to evolve things Uh, this is new territory for us so you'll see in all of the big boxes that we've we've uh, done footfall counters so we're looking very much more closely at footfall and conversion but yes certainly think that it's something that offers you know something different for our model and hopefully you know we'll we'll be more stable perhaps even less seasonal um, which is always a challenge for a retailer All right, so we've moved up now into Shoe Zone's sort of backroom store, and it's very different, Nick, to how the shop floor really looks. I mean, the shop floor is not devoid <laughs> of other stock, but up here you can really see that what you're saying about keeping that sort of business model quite lean and trying to keep it sort of as well organised as possible. So perhaps you can just sort of describe the scene for our listeners a bit more. Yeah, so out the back we've got wooden racking. Um, we tend to try and keep as lean stocks out the back as we can. Um, the distribution f- function is very efficient, so we're, we're dropping stock off here every week, and so we, we tend to want to pay for retail space, not storage space. So we've got about 20% of the space held over to stock in the back office, um, and so we're yeah, really maximising the shop floor. And in terms of, as you said, moving that stock around, I know that we've talked about this already, but for our listeners, in terms of sort of how you go about understanding what stock is selling and sort of how rapidly I mean that's quite fast from what you were telling me perhaps you can just explain to them how quickly you might analyze those those sales patterns and then start to move it all around yeah sure so when goods come in we look very closely at their performance over the three weeks the first three weeks of their arrival Um, we'll make some small tweaks to pricing if we need to to manage the sort of future stock flow And so at the start of the season, the goods come in, they go to all stores. So we try and make sure every store has a full representation of the the stock range. And that goes for our traditional shoe zones, as well as our branded lines. Um, And then we monitor performance throughout the year. And if stock should fragment, hopefully it doesn't, we tend to buy very tight line count. So we have 400 shoe zone lines, 400 branded lines. So generally that means you can have very good distribution across the estate. But should things fragment, the beauty of our, our distribution function means we can recall stock and you know, send it back out. And so the, the key thing in footwear retailing is make, making sure you've got a size range. You know, if you start to fragment your size range, it generally means disaster and you end up needing high markdown, etc. So in, in order to maximise margin, minimise markdown, logistics and how you manage the stock, the stock flow is absolutely critical. And in terms of managing those margins, I mean, perhaps you can talk a bit more in detail about that now that we're off the shop floor. But obviously your margins are quite high and that's not unusual for a value retailer. But perhaps you can talk through how sort of what are the most important things that you think are pertinent to keeping that margin where it is currently or even growing, it, obviously, in the future. 
Yes, certainly in terms of the traditional shoe zone model, we've seen some great growth in margin over recent years. It's tied in really with our sort of push on direct sourcing. So circa 85% of what we buy is coming direct from China, and that's dealing with factories you know, very, as direct as you can, you can deal. Um, so we've enjoyed some great margin growth through that. In terms of the big box margin, obviously we're looking at branded stock there, so they're sort of UK-delivered accounts. Um, the margins are much lower, um, and we're hoping that those margins will improve as the volumes get bigger, as we start to roll out more stores. Um, so, yeah, we're hoping that the blended margin improves. In terms of the shoe zone traditional estate, I think the margin uh, growth probably won't continue. I think, I think for us, we want to make sure we focus on the affordability of our footwear, making sure that we're offering the best value to our customers. We don't want to be greedy. We don't think that's how value retailers should operate. So if there's any future upside, we're hoping we can pass it back uh, to our customers. Right now, obviously, we've had a bit of a currency headwind, and that's been challenging. I think we're through that now um, and hoping that you know that may ease, and possibly that does mean that there's some upside on margin, but we'll certainly aim to give that back to our customers to continue to, you know, to pull them through the door. And obviously, while the big box feels like the new frontier for you guys, you're obviously sort of simultaneously running quite an effective store closure program on sort of the traditional estate. Maybe you can talk us through sort of what are the main points you look at when you consider closing one of those stores as opposed to trying to rescue it, I suppose. Yeah, so we we have been closing lots of stores, and some of them, you know, loss-making stores. So when we IPO'd in 2014, we had about 70 loss-making stores. We currently have 500 stores in our entire estate, and we have approximately 25 small loss-makers. So that's circa 5%, which we think is pretty healthy, actually. Um, so actually, we're still closing stores, but it doesn't mean that they're a disaster. We're very, very keen on managing and optimizing the portfolio. So quite often that means just relocating to a better location. Um, I think the important thing when we're, we're opening stores is looking at that CapEx model. So we're looking very carefully at the level of rent, um, the level of earnings, and perhaps not the first decision isn't revenue. No, so for us it's all about profitability, and we'll come up with a new store based on whether it returns good cash, good earnings, which we see as the critical thing for our investors. It is the critical thing because I know from my own experience that obviously not just our own readers, but also a lot of fund managers hold shoe zone in income funds based on your dividend and sort of where the share price lands obviously depends on what yield you're going to get from that. But historically, it's been quite good. So I suppose how how do you view shareholder returns? You must realise that they are an important draw for a lot of investors looking at, at this stock. Absolutely, yeah. So I think the cash generation for us is absolutely critical to how we operate the business. You'll know um, from things we've said in the past that we we operate on a very, well, on a zero debt model um, with a very strong balance sheet. Um, When we're looking at leases, we're opening five-year leases. We have only two and a half years of average lease length left on, on our portfolio. We're, we're actually surprisingly quite excited by IFRS 16. Uh, we think actually putting some leases on the balance sheet is a great thing for us, because I, not particularly that it re- reflects our business in itself in any different way, but if you start to make comparisons, we think we'll, we'll look very strong. So cash is king, and we really believe in cash generation. So everything we're doing is, is really around you know, investing in the long-term future to make sure we can continue to give off good dividends 
Short term, that might mean some reinvestment in the business. So our capex spend has increased as we're increasing the big box rollout. So if we want to do 10 big box stores a year at circa 250k investment, that includes the refit cost and the stock investment. If you're doing 10 a year, that's two and a half million quid. So our our capex spend has generally increased from history where we were spending about 2.5 million to nearer 5 million but we consider that it's still going to throw off lots of cash. So we don't see dividends drying up. They're going to continue. Our policy remains the same. We're hoping there's going to be a bit more growth. It's an interesting point you made as well about comparing yourself, particularly on a property lease structure basis. Um, there was a big feature that I wrote at the beginning of the year. You guys came out quite well in it. It was the main reason that this podcast basically <laughs> happened. And I think you were saying earlier that there are probably going to be a lot of opportunities in the property market in the retail property market this year not unrelated to that people like carpet right people like house of phrase ESA, they're all entering cvas company voluntary agreements to make sure that they can get out of those leases pretty pronto in terms of how you go about then sort of citing for new locations do you feel like that is going to ramp up significantly perhaps in the latter half of this year we're certainly seeing significant opportunity off the back of some of the you know, the recent trends on the high street. So, yeah, we're looking at, you know, certainly Maplin, Toys R Us, New Look Carpet, right? Some of those opportunities are throwing up some probably more opportunity than we can fulfill at the moment because our, sort of order book on, our order book on stock. So we are probably looking at how, whether we can increase product orders to pet to perhaps roll out slightly quicker but we still want to make sure on the certainly on the big box front that we're doing it in a measured way and we're proving you know things as they go along we're also conscious of perhaps some troubled retailers um, as we're making those decisions so we're looking very carefully at the lineup of some of the out-of-town parks as well as on the high street to make sure we get it right we're certainly um, you know concerned about some of the CVAs whilst they're they're opening up opportunity. You know, they don't particularly reflect well on good retailers. Um, certainly, we think they're a, a bit of a quick fix to poor estate management. And I think, from our point of view, actually managing your property portfolio is absolutely key, as is certainly one of our great assets. So, Harriet, now that you've been there, what's your view on the strategy? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think the idea of going out to look at these new stores that they're starting to really invest in came out of a feature that I wrote earlier in the year, which proved that the approach that ShoeZone takes to developing its property estate is pretty disciplined compared to traditional retailers, particularly department stores. And their leases are very, very short. And the return on these sorts of stores, as you heard, the chief financial officer there, Jonathan, saying was, is pretty quick. It can be within 18 months. And it was sort of interesting to try and compare that sort of premises with what they had traditionally done because ShoeZone has been in this sort of phase of closing down an awful lot of stores, which has sort of dented the top line somewhat. But now that's sort of coming to an end. It's a very small proportion of those stores which remain loss-making and Big Box really seems to be what they want to push from here on out. All very interesting. And are you still bullish about the income prospects? Yeah, I mean, it's a very cash generative business. And I think they were very clear with us yesterday about trying to reassure investors that this sort of heightened level of investment, which the big box stores require, because the sort of payback is so quick on them, it shouldn't really hurt 
into you know immediate cash flow so the dividend still looks quite well supported and last year if you look at the dividend which i think was 10.2p based on a share price of 157p at the time that equated to a yield of of more than 6% so it's definitely been a very popular income holding amongst many fund managers which has caused a bit of controversy because it has been a company in a state of flux but from what i can see if they can keep this investment sort of on track and in the disciplined way that they've done it so far then there's no reason why that income should come under threat in the near term. And in terms of the wider retail sector, it's been, well, carnage in the last few weeks. How does ShoeZone fit into that bigger picture? Yeah, it's a good question because obviously they are a value retailer. So there's always a lot of discussion about how well those brands stack up in an environment such as this, where people's incomes are under pressure, wages are pretty stagnant, um, and inflation is sort of bouncing around a bit. But from my perspective, what I could see is that is they're pretty well positioned actually in the market at the moment. When you've got people like Carpet Right and Maplin and Toys R Us and even possibly Mothercare sort of all on the brink and entering into some quite extreme arrangements in order to try and rescue their businesses, it suggests that there are going to be a lot of quite probably premium property locations coming up for grabs. And if ShoeZone can have the leverage with landlords to get into favourable sort of lease arrangements with those, they could actually look at sort of accelerating that that portfolio quite quickly and, and getting into some good locations. But, you know, they're, they're taking a very conservative approach to it. And Jonathan was saying in, in the site visit that, you know, it's particularly in retail parks where these big box formats do really well, you've got to always be aware of what's going on with the other brands that you're sort of sitting alongside so they're not sort of taking a hurried approach and trying to sort of take advantage of a situation. But at the same time, I do think they, they've got their eye on the ball in terms of what property might be coming up for them and, and where they could take advantage of that. Thanks very much, Harriet, for that. And thank you for listening. For more IC podcasts, head to our website or subscribe on Acast or iTunes. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.